Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standig, and I do cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It's going to take me a minute to get used to that. Uh, in any event, um, that means that I spent yesterday interviewing the head coach of the Commanders, Ron Rivera. Yes, uh, I don't know if you can call it an exclusive when the man does a lot of interviews, but it was a one-on-one with the Washington Commanders man in charge. We spoke a bunch about the quarterback pursuit, of course. We, we got some updates on some of the contract situations involving Terry McLaurin and others, and um, had a chance to discuss kind of what he has learned after two years of having this unique role. And I'm going to get uh, share with you guys a little bit about that here, but of course you can read uh, my article up on The Athletic. There is one now. There will probably be another one up before this week is over. I'm talking to you guys on Wednesday night, so you can check that out. And of course, I'm always curious what you guys have to think about uh, my, my work, but this one in particular, because obviously you're hearing from the head coach who, look, they've got to obviously figure out this quarterback situation and... I'm just curious what you guys had to think. So, you know, hit me up on Twitter at Ben Standig. You can always email me, of course, bstandig at theathletic.com. Now, on this episode, in addition to talking a little bit more about my Rivera interview, I'm going to answer some of your questions from the recent uh, mailbag that I had, I had a, uh, over on The Athletic. Had a bunch of questions that I just had, didn't have a chance to get to, and some that I did that I wanted to discuss a little bit more. So, we'll do a little bit of a mailbag here. In addition, part two of my conversation with our Fred, Fred Katz, uh, of course, former Wizards uh, reporter here for The Athletic, who now covers the Knicks. Part one went up on Monday, which was part of the episode, along with our national NFL writer, Lindsey Jones. Uh, Fred and I get into a bunch more stuff here, just, you know, the Bradley Beal situation. Where is this team going? You know, all, all the, 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 the fun and angsty back and forth that you expect from a Ben Standig, Fred Katz conversation. So we'll get to all that and more here on the Standig Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find anywhere you do your your podcasting. You can listen to it on The Athletic. And I believe there there is a deal right now on The Athletic. If you want to subscribe, it is, I believe it's $1 a month for the for six months. You can subscribe by going through the podcast. That's a great way to do it. Click Or click on one of my articles. Again, there's a, there's a new one up uh, that went up just today. Uh, with myself and Ron Rivera. So um, we'll get to all that. Before, though, I just want to mention, I, I completely uh, forgot to mention, of course, all, uh, on last podcast, that uh, the uh, Washington organization lost a legend, uh, Charlie Taylor, passed away at the age of 80. Um, I am old enough to have seen a good chunk of the 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 the, the the history that most of us talk about with this team, but I missed that George Allen run, you know, in the sixties and the seventies and that first Super Bowl appearance uh, where they lost to the dolphins in Super Bowl seven. And Charlie Taylor was of course, one of the key figures in that stretch. And, you know, we, when we talk about the great receivers in, in, in franchise history, you know, Art Monk is often top of the list and with good justification, he finished his career as the NFL's all time leader in receptions. So did Charlie Taylor. Charlie Taylor uh, also finished when he when he hung it up, um, leading the le- leading uh, uh, all players all time 
in receptions. And I never had a chance to to meet the man. I've only heard good things about him. Obviously, if you you can watch the highlight tape and see just what a tremendous player he was and how he would have easily fit into this modern era today where passing is a much bigger a much bigger deal. In any event, I just wanted to say that, of course, I passed away at 80. Um, a, 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 a tough day um, for the franchise, but, you know, um, best goes out to everybody, um, his family, fans who saw him play. Um, I just wanted to mention that for sure. Um, in addition, Combine, NFL Combine is on starts Monday. I will be in Indianapolis for that. Obviously, the NFL world is is there. We will hear from Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew there. Plus, the players, uh, the prospects will be available. I don't know exactly sure how they're going to do it. It used to be a podium situation for everybody. I, I don't know if exactly that's how we'll be doing it in this, um, uh, you know, w- 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 how they're going to deal with, it with with COVID and things along those lines. Uh, there typically have been some limitations with how we've done things. But to a degree, uh, the world is getting a little bit more back to normal. So hopefully we'll have the chance to have some relative face-to-face time with some of these players. Obviously, the quarterbacks, as we said, you know, take center stage. Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, uh, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, in some order. Those are your top five. Um, I, you know, I, I know that, and those will be the guys that everybody is going to want to hear about. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Those guys here as well. Uh, I, I will just say this isn't so much a mailbag question, but it's a perpetual question. Just like, okay, of those players, if available, who do you think Washington would, would, would take? And, you know, m- my basic answer to this point has been, I think if they feel they need somebody to come in and potentially, potentially play pretty quickly, you know, at least rookie year, if not sooner than later, Kenny Pickett feels like it would be the answer. The uh, one of the Heisman finalists who had a great year at Pitt played five years with the Panthers. Um, he would be probably the choice. Um, I think Sam Howe from North Carolina is another guy who had a ton of experience and I, I think could come in and potentially play. He may be for some for some scouts that I've spoken with. He's a little bit further down on the list. Pickett is typically the guy you hear about first. Um, but I will say that I think Malik Willis. You know, I definitely heard enough people who who, who liked what he did uh, just in general coming out of the Senior Bowl. His combination of arm strength and speed and mobility is is pretty impressive, which is why he is viewed by a lot of um, evaluators that I spoke that I've spoken with as the, um, the 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 one with the highest upside. And, and I will just say, like, if you're saying, well, who does Washington want the most? I, you know, Ron Rivera said to me that this is there's still a long way to go in this process, and I'm not convinced that they have a definitive answer. I'm sure there are players that they like more than others, but I don't know if they have an answer. I have had some people tell me that they think Malik Willis is the guy to keep an eye on for Washington. I do think it makes a lot of sense when you consider the some of the traits that Rivera has discussed, including you know a quarterback who can make plays out of the pocket, keep plays alive make plays with his legs. Obviously, you also have to be able to make the throws, and I think people think Willis can do that. The big concern there is he's just making a big jump from Liberty to the NFL, and and even um, you know some of his supporters say, hey, he probably needs to sit out his year, um, which is why this kind of morphs into my conversation with Ron Rivera. And we got into a few different topics. Obviously, I would love for you to read it on The Athletic, but I do want to get into just a couple quick things here. Um, 
Rivera and I discussed what the what the composition might look like of the depth chart last year. You know, I, I, we discussed that the possibility of making an only in move for a quarterback and Rivera said, Hey, we know what the capital will cost to get that done. I, I think that they would be willing to make one of those big, bold moves, but we'll have to see if Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or anyone like that is even available. I, I would say no at this point, but we'll say, we'll have to see. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo might be the best bet. We've talked about him. We had our, my, my colleague at the athletic Matt Barrows on just uh, recently to discuss that. We had my colleague uh, Michael Sean Dugar discussing Russell Wilson. You can go back and check those podcasts out for those guys. Um, but in terms of you know what else happens, like what's what what is the likely plan? Here's what Rivera had to say about the depth chart. Quote: We're more than likely going to have a veteran on the roster. More than likely have a another veteran more than likely have an opportunity to have a rookie on the roster as well, end quote. And, you know, that look, that may sound, well, duh, <laughs> three quarterbacks, okay, that's fine, and two veterans and a rookie. I mean, what's to, what's to know about any of that? Well, I think what's to know about it is this. Uh, this is a lot of interpreting on my end, a lot of inf- inference, a lot of tea leave reading and things like that. But let's go through some of this really quickly here. When he says have one veteran, have another veteran, and then likely have the opportunity to get a rookie. You know, last year, Ron Rivera talked an awful lot about having a quarterback competition. Now, he did that largely because the previous year, he didn't have one during the pandemic uh, altering training camp. So it was Dwayne Haskins and Kyle Allen was just kind of watching in, in the rears. And Rivera made it pretty clear he wishes he had done it differently and had a competition. Thus, that just became the theme of the next offseason, regardless of what happened. They get Ryan Fitzpatrick to go with Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen. There was no competition, but he kept talking about one. Well, he's not even talking about one this time. Not on his own. So, to me, there is no real sense that there's going to be a competition. And that's notable on a lot of levels, including that, while Taylor Heineke, he said, is like it's fair to assume Heineke will be around, that whoever the other veteran is will be somebody who's going to be likely over him. Now, if it was going to be a Rodgers or a Wilson or he thought a big trade was out there, like for real, not hypothetically, but like for real, then there's probably, I don't know why you would have a rookie on the roster, right? You you, you don't need to have a rookie if, you're, if you have Rodgers or Wilson. Those are your quarterbacks for the next few years. Same with Derek Carr, or Matt Ryan even, or what have you. So that doesn't make as much sense. Plus, realistically, if you're going to mention a rookie, you're probably saying you're drafting that player in the first two rounds. And if you're trading to get one of those bigger names, you're probably giving up your first round pick. Even if it's Jimmy Garoppolo and you're trading your second round pick, are you then spending your first round pick on a quarterback at 11 in a year in which a lot of people, um, a lot of evaluators don't really love the upside with this class, don't automatically have any of these quarterbacks inside their top 20 or 30 picks? That doesn't seem to make sense. So if I'm telegraph, if I'm trying to read what Rivera is telling us, I believe what he's saying is this: I, that he doesn't right now. It doesn't. The best bet is it's going to be somebody from the from the free agent class, i.e., the uh, another a veteran on the roster to go with Heineke, and then more than likely we'll have an opportunity to have a rookie on the roster as well. There may be seven to eight quarterbacks who get picked this year, and five of them 
appear likely to go somewhere in the top 50, give or take. So you're basically saying you're going to take a quarterback early. And I have said before, right now, this is just pure guessing to a degree, but, you know, I do talk to people, um, try to get a best sense I can, that right now my guess, and I've said this before on Kevin Sheen's radio show and elsewhere, Mitch Trubisky, who has spent the past year in Buffalo under the, the eyes of Brandon Bean and, and Sean McDermott, two people that Ron Rivera knows very well. Mitch Trubisky, Taylor Heineke, and the rookie. And I think the rookie, the last time or two when I've been on with Sheehan, and he's asked me, I've said Malik Willis. Because if people who say that Malik Willis needs to redshirt a year, basically, well, okay, you can kind of do that in this scenario. I get it that we're not saying Trubisky would be some great answer. And it could be Mariota. It could be, you know, we, we, we could have some other names as well. But the point would just be the veteran gives you a better chance to have some success next year. And Willis might have the most upside. It may be the best thing that they can do. And since I've had some people tell me that they think that Willis is somebody that Washington kind of likes, that I just think that's that's where I would kind of pivot right now. You have Trubisky and Heineke to kind of hopefully get you through the year as best you can. And you have Willis there because, look, this franchise also needs a narrative change to some degree. Simply drafting a quarterback, especially one who may not play a lot this year, doesn't do everything, of course. But you need to give people some sort of hope. And this is one way to do that while also hopefully helping the team. So that's just something to keep an eye on. We'll talk more about the quarterbacks in a second. Um, I'll just briefly run through a couple other things here that would, that, that was said. Um, I did ask Rivera about some of the other contract situations um, with regards to Terry McLaurin, who is extension el- eligible and Deron Payne, who's going into the fifth and final year of his deal. Rivera said that there's nothing eminent, but that he expects to have uh, conversations with with agents for both of the players at the combine. Uh, Rivera said, "Quote: We have a tremendous amount of interest in making these guy making sure these guys are with us going forward." Um, I think for sure that's the case with with McLaurin. Uh, you know, we've talked about that. Uh, the, you know, they, they got to figure out a way to keep him locked up. The pain one, though, I still think is a little more interesting because of the fact that they have all that depth on the defensive line. They just paid uh, the other tackle, Jonathan Allen, paying two tackles. Totally fine. It just may not be the way some teams would, would choose to uh, use their asset allocation. And you have Montez Sweat and Chase Young coming up over the next couple of years. If you do trade for a big-name quarterback, you probably have to add some significant player. One of the defensive linemen makes the most sense. Um, but, you know, we'll see how that goes. In any event, Rivera... Seems uh, optimistic about getting something done, or he certainly is hopeful at that. So we will see um, how that goes. Anyway, check that out. Go check out that article. Um, as I said, I should have another Rivera article up as well. In this one, I will just say that there's a Joe Gibbs um, appearance in, in in the article as well. So uh, you can check that out on The Athletic. Now, um, I wanted to get into some of your mailbag questions that I either didn't address in full or only or didn't have a chance to get to it all and then we'll and then we'll get to my conversation with uh, Fred Katz. Um, let me just start let's just kind of go through the list here. Uh, Willis G asked and first of all, of course, many thanks to everybody on the who, who subscribes to the athletic who contributes in the comment section on these mailbags here on the podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I try to engage on the comment section. Sometimes I'm sure I get a little short. I don't mean to. It's just, you know, 
you put in a lot of work and then the first comment you read, somebody's questioning something and I just, you know, can lose my mind for half a second. But I appreciate the feedback and the interaction. Uh, and the support. Uh, so Willis G asks, QB is an obvious need, but what position do you think needs to be addressed most, assuming the quarterback position gets solved? And it's a good question because it's a weird thing. While I think Rivera can be overstated when he says that he thinks their roster is essentially a quarterback away from competing, I don't think it's – I don't know that he's completely wrong in that if you if you re-sign J.D. McKissick, which I believe they hope to do, um, and if they determine that Wes Schweitzer is an adequate replacement for Brandon Scherf at right guard, assuming Scherf is not back, then – you know, what other positions are we are we talking about here? We know that they need a Mike linebacker. And that's something I addressed in my latest mock draft where I kind of said, okay, if they get a veteran quarterback at the 11th pick, could you go with Kobe Dean, the, the linebacker from Georgia, who was really the leader of that national championship uh, defense? Uh, they could obviously go with the veteran as well. It's not ideal to draft a linebacker two years in a row in the first round. But also, yo, Dean is really good. McShay has him, I believe, as his sixth top prospect on the board. Everybody seems to have him somewhere inside their top 20. So that made sense to me. So linebacker, to me, would be the number one need, in part just because of what Rivera has said to us, that he doesn't see Jamin Davis or Cole Holcomb playing that spot, and they're going to need that spot uh, to go forward. Now, Bobby McCain's another safety. I know Rivera really likes him and that they would like to keep him as well. Um, You know, I... That to me is a position I feel like you could make an upgrade as well. Uh, you know, I, I I wrote the other day in a storyline article that if Washington can't make that splashy quarterback move, they do have a lot of free agent money. You know, what else could they do? And one name I floated was uh, Tyron Matthew. Uh, you know, the, the the great safety with the Chiefs. Now, I don't know that Matthew will be available, would be interested, or that Washington is interested, but I just think that he is such a difference-making player for teams. Like, if you have a, if you have a chance to get that guy, I really do think he could be a huge difference, uh, c- could really help turn this thing around for that defense that obviously dropped off dramatically. I believe they went from third in DVOA per football outsiders to 27th. So, that, to me, would be a, a position, whether it's Matthew or not. I feel like that's a spot where you could upgrade. But if they stay with McCain, you know, I'm not going to say that that's like a a mess or anything. And I've previously mentioned that at running back, they um, at, at running back that they need um, a little bit more, uh, even if Gibson and McKissick are back. So that's something to keep an eye on. And then you have receiver. So on the one hand, you know, I've had some people tell me they think Washington is looking to make a splashy move at receiver. No, I'm not saying Devontae Adams or necessarily somebody at the top, but looking or top of the free agent list, but looking to get somebody else. So that's something to keep an eye on. On the other hand, when I spoke with Rivera uh, and I didn't put this in the article, we talked about the receiver room and, you know, I guess to a degree you could say, of course, he's going to be optimistic about the guys he has. But he did speak optimistically, of course, about Terry McLaurin and about a healthy Curtis Samuel and getting more out of De'Ami Brown in his second year. He also said Cam Sims is a guy he acknowledges they just don't get the ball enough to and they need to figure out why is that the case and how do they how do they work on that. And they're going to get Logan Thomas back. You know, if they get another receiver, I think that's reasonable. I know people have commented that I always seem to knock the idea of adding a receiver. Um, I, I wouldn't say that. It isn't so much that I'm th- that I'm knocking the, the the notion of the receiver. It's just that you're going to probably pay Terry McLaurin 
You've already paid Samuel. And I think a good quarterback can make receivers, uh, ordinary receivers, better. They don't have a great quarterback, so then that's a little bit of a problem. But yes, it is a position that warrants probably more attention um, these days because of the rules in the NFL. And to the point of adding another running back, if you if you don't have a receiver, I'm sorry, if you don't have a star quarterback, how do you help that receiver? How do you help that quarterback out? Getting some more receiver help could could help. So those are the positions I would probably say I think they need to address outside of quarterback. Um, James L. asked, hey, Ben, could you comment on Carson Strong's potential as a future uh, Washington quarterback? He doesn't get the same buzz as the others. It seems like he ticks all the boxes except mobility. Um, you know, is he any less is he any less mobile mobile than some of the other guys who've been around for a while? Um, I, I think the answer might be yes. Carson Strong has some significant um, leg uh, knee issues. He had a his cartilage um, replaced with a cadaver cartilage. That that that's you know hopefully medical science is pretty good these days. And but uh, you know that's, that seems significant. Uh, he throws a nice ball. Uh, he's very accurate. Seventy percent of his passes completed in each of his last two years. Um, there were some throws he made it, it, in the first day at the Senior Bowl I thought were as pretty as anybody else's out there. But I also heard some questions, significant questions about that mobility. Some scouts did not like the the the, the loft he seemed to be putting on the ball um, to, to, to make some throws down the field. I, I think to me he seems to be a clear sixth in this group. I don't necessarily know that he's going round two, maybe day two, but I don't know about round two. Um, and it just doesn't, if Rivera's talking about a mobile guy, I just don't see that this is the answer to that. But look, if somehow they don't take quarterback in the first couple rounds or the first five are off the board when they decide to do something, well, Rivera's saying they're going to take a rookie. So that, that would be a rookie. And after Carson Strong, really not a ton of other options. So I don't necessarily think he's a great fit for Washington based on what Rivera has said. But he is one of the top, you know, he's basically the sixth quarterback in this draft, it appears. So that is something to consider. Uh, John T. asked, uh, what's been the reception to the new name? I'm not impressed. Um, At least they didn't pick the Washington Generals. (laughs) Fair enough on that. Um, Look, I feel like I probably had the same experience that a lot of you had. And that is... I, I really haven't met anybody who's been like, wow, all in on this name, great name, excited for it. You know, at best, it's kind of like, all right, it's fine. It's whatever. We're all kind of accepting that over time we'll get used to it. We're just not there yet. Um, and it was then that was my thought. Then this week, the Washington Post uh, put out results from a citywide poll that showed close to half of D.C. residents have a negative view of the team's name with 32% disliking it and 17% saying they hate it. Uh, four out of 10 residents are positive about the new name, but only 5% claim to love commanders and 36% saying they like the new name. Um, I honestly would have guessed the percentage would be higher. If you're telling me it's only 50% essentially of people that they, they, they really don't like it. That actually doesn't seem as bad as I would have guessed. Because, you know, in look, a lot of us didn't like the, the, the name football team. 18 months later, or tw- two years later, we're all kind of like, all right, it's fine, whatever. We're used to it. Um, so I think commanders will get there as well. So I don't know if I took this as to being as negative as maybe the, the headline w- suggested about, you know, 
Um, half of half of the people polled had a negative view. I just thought it would be higher. Um, but anyway, that would be, I think, this, uh, a fair sense of where we're at with regards to this name. I will just mention one thing here. Part of the, the problem is it's not that just people have to get used to commanders. It's the second name they've had to get used to since the original change went down. And, you know, if Dan Snyder had been more responsible or responsive, I guess, to the reality that at some point the name was probably going to change. We didn't necessarily know it would be the summer of 2020, but at some point that was going to happen, most likely, even though he said he would never change it. A responsible thing to do, I think, would have been to have commission a focus group to see what else can we, you know, whatever, what, whatever, the ter- whatever they do, whatever they did to figure out how to come up with the name, have a plan in place so that if something were to ever happen, you have at least some head head start because once you chose to to pick a new name, the process takes as long as it did, about 18 months, give or take. That's what the experts told us. That's the way it played out. If he had had a name in mind and, you know, gone through this process from this, you know, before all this happened, instead of going from the original name to um, commanders, or sorry, to football team, then to commanders, could have just gone straight from Redskins to commanders or whatever and then we would have been now 18 months to two years into this and now we'd all be going "Eh, it's fine (laughs) but instead we have to wait and hey that's just part of the deal i guess um let's see um william d asked oh no uh yeah well william d asked me do i think that the commanders would ever consider making chase young part of a trade to get a top veteran quarterback now i did answer this in the um mailbag and we did talk about it i believe in the last episode but i just wanted to mention this here in regards to the quarterback situation i understand obviously it wouldn't be ideal to trade chase young or any of the players on this team there are some really good some good talent the question you just have to ask yourself is if just to use make an example if seattle calls you up and says hey you want russell wilson here's the package we want three ones and chase young you can you can uh you know you can counter with something else, and that's fine. But if Seattle stays with it, and that's the offer, you have to make it. Are you making it or not? Um, this is not even about Chase Young or any player on this team. This is about the idea of getting the quarterback. You got to get one, and if you are at some point, you got to get an upgrade. So if this is the if this is an opportunity, that's why I think it makes logical sense to at least say you have to consider it. Which was my basic point when I wrote what I wrote that I said, I think any player could be available. Now, the fact that that comment got turned into a aggregator's uh, delight uh, out there and people started to run with this saying, I'm reporting this, I mean, that's not true. But I think what was interesting to me was just how so many people seem to be shocked that this would be conceivable. They're viewing it from the point of view, why would Washington move on Chase Young, when the reality to me is, no, we're saying Washington is that, in need of a quarterback. And with that one, it's hard to get overly excited about them. If I tell you that Russell Wilson's on this team, but not Chase Young, aren't we saying that Washington is still an NFC title contender in ways that we wouldn't say off the bat if it's, you know, one of these free agent quarterbacks or even one of these rookies and Chase Young still here? And again, I'm not picking on Chase Young. The question specifically was about him. So I just think if, if, that, if that comes up in your head, it's not so much about any of the players mentioned. It's about the idea of if Washington, if this is the way they can get a quarterback, a real big, a big difference maker, 
whether it's Wilson or Rodgers or pick somebody else you, you think matters, then, yeah. I mean, to me, I think you're going to really, really have to consider it. That would be my point. So just view it from that perspective. Don't view it so much on the individual player. View it more on the how desperate are you to get that quarterback. And if you're not, then it's not. Then it's probably an easy answer. No, you wouldn't part with Chase Young or whoever else. But otherwise, I think that's what you have to consider. Last one here from Matthew T. Hey, Ben, can you rank the free agent quarterbacks and potential draft picks in a top 10 of most likely to be under center for next season? So by the nature of this question, that means we're not discussing any of the Rodgers or Wilsons or Cars or anyone like anyone like that. So I did answer this at the time. Um, I had Mitch Trubisky, number one, followed by Teddy Bridgewater, Jimmy Garoppolo, Marcus Mariota. That's four veterans. I, I do think that Washington wants to get a veteran. Even if you just want to say, in the answer provided to me by Ron Rivera, he said the first two things were veteran, and then another veteran, and then a chance to get a rookie. The veteran market comes first on the calendar, and I think they're going to do whatever they can to get somebody. Now, if the best they can get is one of these free agents, some people will say that those guys are still better than Heineke. Um, we'll, we'll, you know, that that's for sort of a different conversation. Uh, I just think that Trubisky. You know, I've had somebody say they think that's where he may ultimately land. I think there's, I think there's athleticism there. You know, ESPN had a, had an article about Trubisky about his next his future, and that was something that was mentioned over and over again by Bills players about his athleticism. He's going to again be in. He's been in Buffalo the last year with people from Rivera's Carolina days. He's going to trust if they give a glowing report that would make a lot of sense. So I just think that Trubisky can make a lot of sense for, for Washington. Again, I'm thinking sort of like a two-year deal, maybe $14, $15 million, maybe the second year is a team option or something along along those lines or, or minimal guarantees, whatever it is. So that would be, for me, I think an interesting way to go. I understand Trubisky's not going to be sexy. I get it. None of these guys are. But I think there's some potential there, and it wouldn't cost a ton. I, I, I think I had Teddy Bridgewater second. Largely because Marty Herney's the one that signed him to go to Carolina. I, Bridgewater's been passed around enough at this point where I think we all kind of know what we're getting with him. If if Washington truly has a strong group everywhere else on the team, I think maybe Ted Brid, Teddy Bridgewater works. But for me, I would probably try to look somewhere else. Three, I had Garoppolo. Again, we'll see if the Niners uh, ultimately do trade him. With Trey Lance, you know, do they decide Trey Lance is ready to go? Or, you know, maybe they're going to get Tom Brady. Who knows? Uh, if the cost is a second and, say, a fourth for Garoppolo, maybe it's more. Um, you know, I don't – then I think the real question is, are you going to extend him beyond – he has one year left on his deal. He's probably going to be the best guy available, realistically. So, I think you have to look long and hard at it, but so will other teams as well. Um, Marcus Mariota. You know, I can make the case he's the number one of these guys for Washington um, because he can make plays with his legs. You know, I, I I think there is some hope that he can be a pretty solid quarterback, but he gets hurt a lot, just like Garoppolo does, and that's been a big knock on him for sure. Um, number five, I had Kenny Pickett. I think if I had to do this again, I would probably flip this around. I probably would have Mariota two behind Trubisky. Um, with Garoppolo and Bridgewater, but you know, on some of those top four, I could flip those orders around either way. But for the fifth, I'll probably go with Malik Willis at this point. 
again, I, I sort of interpreted the question of like who would actually play, and I don't know how much Willis will play, but in light of some things that I've heard around the league, and also Rivera saying the idea of two vets and a rookie, you can therefore have Willis just kind of get ready and not feel the pressure to use him. So that would be my top five. There's other guys, Jameis Winston, um, obviously Taylor Heineke is somewhere on the list, uh, Pickett, Corral, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, who I had going in the second round to Washington in their mock draft. Um, I, I think some people think he might move up higher than just being the fifth guy off the board. He could be a first-round pick. So we'll see how that uh, goes. And I'm not even getting into the Carson Wentz's of the world. I, I guess I will just say, though, in that case, if the Colts make him free, on the one hand, yeah, Carson Wentz could be a, a, an, an interesting quarterback, but I, I don't know if he, he did not um, get the vaccine last year. That seemed to be a point of contention with the Colts to to some degree. And, you know, we know what happened here last year with Washington. We know Ron Rivera was very outspoken about that. I just don't know that I see Ron Rivera um, wanting to go down that path again. So, anyway, that would be my answers for that group. But as Rivera also said to me, there is still a long way to go in this quarterback discussion. So don't get too worked up just yet, no matter what we're hearing, but going to stay on top of it. That's kind of the gist of what I've heard so far on a lot of these guys, and we will see soon. And look, the combine is here. Uh, We'll hear a lot about these players. How did they test? How did they do in interviews? And obviously for the teams, this is a big opportunity to get to speak with all these players and get a closer look under the hood, as it were. So um, we're getting closer, but we're still a bit ways to go. Granted, free agency starts essentially mid-March, so and the trade markets could happen at any time. So basically, Washington's on the clock and will be for real in a couple of weeks when free agency hits. But for now, um, a little bit more time for them to get all their homework on these options. All right, so... That's going to be it here for that point of for the commanders talk of this podcast. And if I said football team 12 times, apologize. <laughs> Still getting used to it. Um, but what I want to do now is get to my conversation with my guy, Fred Katz. Always a blast. Part one, I put up on Monday's episode. If you missed it, I urge you to go back and listen to that. But here comes part two. A lot of Bradley Beal. A lot about where is this team going um, I believe we got into some Wes Unsell Jr. stuff. So if, uh, always a fun time talking to Fred. Here's the rest of my con- uh, my conversation with my friend Fred Katz here on the Standard Room Only podcast. So here, w- one thing that always gets discussed is, okay, if Bradley Beal stays with the Wizards and signs the Supermax, he would pr- get a projected $242 million over five years. Pretty good. If he signs with another team, he can only sign for four years and he would be getting roughly $179 million. So that's like a, what, $63 million gap between the two, okay? And everybody points to that and says, well, I mean, who's leaving that kind of money on the table? And you're right. Obviously, for, the, for any of us, that's insane that you, would, that you would do that. However, it is still $179 million. It isn't like 242 or he's working at Chipotle. I mean, he's getting a lot of no offense to Chipotle people. He's getting he's getting that's like real money. Yo, there are worse things than working at Chipotle. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying I'm guessing those people are not making 179 million. That's just a guess. But here's the other component to this, right? He arrived in the league. His first contract got paid 18.7 million over four years. You can keep 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 the math here. 18.7. Next contract, five years, 127 million. So now we're over like 100 or getting to like 145 million dollar range. 
the next t- deal, the, the one he's currently on, is an extension, two years, $70 million. Okay, so now we're way over $200 million. When he then signs at a minimum for the $179 million, if that's the number he would just use that, what, what, what are we at now? Close to $400 million? And a reminder, how wh- he's not old. The, and like if you take the four-year for 179 then understand, assuming he doesn't retire, he will then play again. So if you take the next year of his contract, whatever it is, you tack that on as the fifth year. So let's say he gets paid by somebody $25 million just to be conservative, relatively speaking, that he's still a pretty good player. Now that five-year deal is $205 million, give or take. Again, it's still leaving money on the table, but like you get the pick where you live. You get the pick where you play. Maybe you go play for a contender and in the grand, and by the way, you can go to endorsements. Like if you go, like if you go to a, a, a bigger market, you can get other things. The, the idea that like, it's like insane that he would leave that kind of money on the table. I don't think is that insane on any level. And like, to your point, um, who knows what he wants to do now? Again, the likelihood is he stays for a lot of the reasons you just said, those are not about money. That's about a legacy aspect. And it's perspectable that he wants to potentially try to be the guy here for his entire career. Great if, if for him. But I'm just saying the idea that the money is the factor, I don't buy it at all. I buy it. I think the fifth year is a factor. Well, I mean, it's I a factor, but I'm just saying it's not, it can't be the factor. I don't maybe, know if it's maybe, the factor. Maybe, I, think it's maybe a, I'm wrong. I think it's a series of, of things. Uh, but I think I think the fifth year is well, is, well, you, is is like a a real true variable in his thought process. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, it is on some level. He could have just signed a four year extension now with this yeah. team for and, basically and to this. be and to be clear, by the way, uh, for those listening, not to you, uh, he can't sign five years with another team. He can only sign five years with the team that he's currently on. And so if the Wizards had traded him to Team X, then Team X could offer him five years this summer. The Wizards didn't trade him. So now the Wizards can offer him five. And if anybody else wants to sign him, they can only offer up to four. So that's that's why the fifth year we're talking about specifically. Sorry, so go ahead. What, what's the sense? And I have not paid any attention to this, and maybe it's just way, way too early. But now that we know that Bradley Beal will be hitting free agency one way or the other, and we now know the landscape of how the rest of the league is looking because – all these deals have been made and obviously things could change depending on how people perform in the playoffs. What's the sense of like what teams are going to be in the Bradley Beal hunt. If in fact, he's actually willing to listen, like, is there a sense like right now, like, you know, I said Miami, I'm just making that up because everybody wants to play for Miami, but was there any sense of any teams out there that could be interested or would have the space or the wherewithal to do anything? I mean, the thing with this summer is that there aren't very many teams that have legitimate cap space. There are some others who opened up more space, but they're they're not the types of teams that would necessarily be going after Bradley Beal or have a legitimate amount of, uh, you know, have a legitimate reason to Bradley to get Bradley Beal or a legitimate pitch to Bradley Beal. It's like the Portlands and 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 those teams of the world. Okay. Uh, let's see. I will. Uh, We'll call some of this up right now. I, I mean, mean, obviously, I, I mean, we, we know the Lakers are, you know, in theory, kind of maxed out for the rest of time. Um, yeah. The, so, like, the, Detroit can create space. Orlando can create space. Indiana can create space. San Antonio, Portland. Uh, Oklahoma City has the Shea Gilgis-Alexander contract, which is – I think people think of Oklahoma City as like, oh, they can take on any team because – 
or any contract because they have for the last couple of years, but that's, that's not really the case because um, the Kemba Walker buyout they're they're paying Kemba Walker, like 30 some odd million dollars because of the buyout there. Plus they have Shea Gilgis Alexander's max kicking in. They could do it, but it's tough. Uh, And then you just kind of have the possibility of sign in trades. I mean, if a team like say the Knicks really, really wanted Bradley Beal, which I haven't heard Nick's Bradley Beal stuff. You hear Nick's Donovan Mitchell stuff. You hear Nick's Damon Lillard stuff. I haven't heard. Well, then they have any. RJ Barrett, right? I mean, that's, you know, they're kind of in the same general mold. Uh, I mean, you could play Beal at the two and Barrett at the three, and you could do it. I mean, they play Evan Fournier and Barrett together. So you could you could do that. Um, and, By the and, way, and don't, Barrett, you, don't you love the, me, me, me telling the Knicks insider what they should be doing? Go ahead. <laughs> well, my, I, I'm, I, they, I have not heard any Bradley Beal Nick stuff at all, but I'm just, they're a team that if they wanted to do it, I think like if they were dying to just get off as much space as possible, I think they could probably figure out a way to do it. You know, just, they have a surplus of draft picks. They evolve their own picks and they have Dallas's 2023. You attach a few picks to Evan Fournier and to, you know, Nerlens Noel and whatnot and, and Derek Rose and, then you are able to have the space, uh, but that's obviously complicated. You can maybe work a sign and trade. And then after that, you're just talking sign and trades. Miami is over the cap would have to be a sign and trade. You know, if he really wants to go to Miami, forces his way to Miami, you know, maybe you just like sign and trade Kyle Lowry or something like that. He, he really wants to go to Boston, tries to force his way to Boston. Then, then, you know, maybe there's a sign and trade on the table with guys there with Marcus smart and some other guys or whatnot. Um, I do not see Boston being so, willing at uh, so, all to trade either of the Jays. Right. So to this, so to this point, this sort of knocks my point a little bit in the sense of if the market isn't there on the basic free agent level, then you know he doesn't have as many options. Especially if the goal is to like my my point would be if you take the less money, it's to maybe go play with a contender because you're you kind of want to get back to that. What you're talking about, none of those teams overtly seem to be uh, in that mix. So that's works against what I'm saying to an extent. Um, so, so there's that also, look, I mean, I, you tell me you pay paying more attention to the league than I am. feels like the shine is a little bit off Bradley Beal this year, because you mentioned the three point shooting. He didn't make the all-star game and nobody complained about it because realistically, I mean, the injury aside, I mean, he wasn't having that type of year, obviously very good player. He fits in with almost anybody, all the positives still exist, but you know, it didn't work out. Plus like to whatever degree, we want to say what went wrong here. I mean, he's on the team. Like, I mean, he, you know I mean? Like he's part of whatever the mix was that worked, didn't work out. Uh, you tell me, wasn't the supposed the story that he was pushing to a degree for Spencer Dinwiddie that maybe I'm wrong on the pushing, but like it, it was, it was part of it. I wouldn't characterize it as pushing. Okay. Just that uh, he was, that he was like, you know, he was, I think it was more like, and this is my read of the situation. I, I think it was more like, Hey, who were, here are the available point guards. Who do you think will be good? Uh, and and he was like, yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie, good player. And I think it was more that. They knew they needed a point guard. Obviously, they had traded Russ, and their only point guard on the roster was going to be Aaron Holiday. And, and, and they knew they were bringing back Neto, but those guys aren't you know, starting point guards. And they knew they had to go out and get one. And Dinwiddie, I think, was kind of the best guy to do it. I, 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 I sat down with Dinwiddie in, at Summer League after that trade happened, did a, had a long conversation with him in his hotel room. 
he was he was gracious enough to have me there and 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 we spoke for a while on the record and you know i wrote i wrote a long q a with him and and in it he talked about like it's not like he and beal were best friends and they were dying to play together and they had decided a year prior ah, we want to play together and right right i didn't kind get of a mutual respect from afar sort of thing they respected each other's games and that was why they thought they would work well together uh so i i don't think it was necessarily like pushing like you guys you sure. got to go get this guy. You got to. I don't think it was that like that level. Per usual, I overstated my uh, my opinion. Yeah, I just got the sense. Why have me on? Was, yeah, right. I, I got the sense that he essentially was like, it seemed like it was more than just endorsing that there was like, yeah, but okay, either way. But my point is that I gave Bradley Beal a, a big pass over the last couple of years in the sense that nothing was going right for this organization. John Wall's hurt. Westbrook comes in. He's a whole story. Uh, this is from a personality perspective, you know, the, the, the coach isn't got to change. Like a lot of things are not working here. And I, you know, when people would say that Bradley Beal doesn't play defense, I'm like, well, okay, I get it. But he did before that everything kind of went south. And I took it as what's he supposed to do. He can't play 48 minutes, hardcore, both ends of the court and do everything. Cause they need him to. So he took off some time on defense and that, yeah, sure. The team isn't necessarily winning, but I, I think they're actually, especially the, the year before Westbrook, I think they actually were overachieving a little bit in part because he was a try hard player and people responded to his general uh, vibe of playing, but everybody else that came in new comes into this culture that they have here, which is also, again, part of my issue here with this team. There is no real culture that the, because from ownership down, they sort of bent over for the players from John Wall and Beal, like, do whatever we can do to satisfy them as opposed to establishing standards from the top down and saying, this is what it means to play for this organization. Thus, when new people come in, they have an expectation the way it sort of works with Miami or maybe successful businesses in general. Um, so he gets some, some of that. I think he, it's only fair to get some criticism to him on that front. Cause if you're the best player, it's all gonna be part of it. Again, Bradley Beal, I think is a guy who generally speaking is a good player on a winning team. I, I I'd, I'll stay with with that, but this isn't this isn't this isn't working. Look, let me ask you this though, before I because we've already talked for over an hour, which you asked me when we started, how long are we going to go? I'm like, I don't know, thirty minutes, but it could be three hours. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> oh, it, it's 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 a tradition as old as time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you this told is, me you had... this is uh, I owe you about nine hundred podcasts of <laughs> of this of of. <laughs> There are about 907 times where I said to you, you have 30 minutes and you said, yeah, but I, I really can't go longer than like 40 minutes. I was like, great. And then we went for an hour. Yeah, so well, I, I, I owe you essentially conversations for the rest of my life. All, all, all good. But so, so let's just to spin this back to the positive vibes. Okay. This is their team. Let's just say Bradley Beal's back. I agree with you. I think it's the most likely scenario. As it stands with the roster, we, we talked about the front court has a lot of pieces. We'll see how the pieces fit. The back court is essentially Bradley Beal. And if we're going to say Kispert and KCP are there, then that's kind of it. I mean, right now, they've they, they, your boy Ish Smith is back. Uh, I think the second year is a team option. Look, I'd probably keep Ish Smith at this point. He's a positive vibe in the locker room. Totally professional number two point guard. But that aside, you would still need a, a, a starter. So what do you think they can do or should do or consider to, to, to get that? Because the point guard's a big deal. I think one mistake they've continued to make is not telling Bradley Beal to go back and play the way you did uh, 
when John Wall was a healthy version where you're more of the off the ball guy. I talked about this with Tommy Shepard when I had him on the radio. He even seemed to say that we are kind of trying to push him more in that direction. Bradley Beal on the ball, especially late in games, is not really a great a great thing, um, as, even though he's improved a lot as a ball handler. I think it would help with shooting. But that aside, they have to get another point guard. So what's your view of that? Like, is this a, is this a draft pick uh, for, for where this team is at? Is this a somebody in free agency you think could make some sense? What's the, what's the move that you see this many months out to, comp- to complement Beal, Porzingis, and so on? It's a great question. I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer. It's a great question. I don't know the answer to it. I don't know. I don't know who the answer would be. They definitely need a point guard. There's no question. I mean, I watched the game against Brooklyn last night and it's, it's Neto and it's, it's Ish Smith. Ish Smith's done a pretty good job for them, Uh, but it's, it's Neto and it's Ish Smith and neither of those guys is. To, to trade to trade Montrez Harrell for Ish Smith and look Montrez Harrell absolutely enjoyed the first twenty odd games of it. Things kind of went south after there. Maybe wears on guys, whatever. But to bring him back to swap him for Ish Smith, the ultimate <laughs> locker room chemistry guy, is this there's, there's not a greater vibe change that you could possibly make. Right, that oh, was the- that was like the ultimate. Like you traded Montrez Harrell, who was clearly a problem in their locker room, for. The guy who watches Everybody Loves Raymond before games. Right. I don't know what the John Hollander PER stat tip for, to for Chase Hughes for reporting one of my favorite anecdotes ever on the Wizards Beast beat that Ish Smith watches Everybody Loves Raymond before games. <laughs> like, I, does, does John Hollander have a PER rating that stands for personality? Because that's what we need to deter. Because the Wizards, from that perspective, won that version of the trade. Um, but yeah, okay. But that aside, Keep issues are number two. We're all good with that. They still need the starter. I, I think like that. That's the thing. It's hard to project like what they even have because not only is there the front court jumble that we just discussed before, and even if Beal stays, the point guard's a huge deal. Obviously, because of the it's the one position I think on any team that you really have to have. It's the closest thing to the quarterback in the NFL. You really have to have something there that makes a lot of sense i know some teams like say the lakers or maybe the lakers are a bad example but some teams the the point guard is effectively another position but who's the ball who's the primary ball handler and can they distribute and especially at that spot we don't know who that guy is and i think that's they got to solve that uh in a big way you could trade for john wall Dude, I, I mean, I, I I really want to see Westbrook and and LeBron together in the playoffs. So I did not want to see that happen. But man, I was it was like it would have been amazing if they had trade if they had said screw it, we're trading Westbrook for all and giving up the first to see how that would have played out. It is hilarious. Uh, I know. I mean, look this this summer, you got Ricky Rubio who's hurt right now, but is going to be a free agent. Was actually having a great year for for Cleveland before he got hurt. Tyus Jones is hitting the market, but he's been so good for Memphis. And I have to imagine they would prioritize bringing him back. Uh, you know, Pat, Patty Mills has, I think it's, he has a player option. I don't know what he's going to do about that. Dennis Schroeder is always a free agent is always attainable. Uh, you know, these are guys who, who, who maybe you go after for the mid-level exception. Rubio might cost you more than the mid-level exception. You might not be able to go get him. I'm, I'm not sure. And, and, and I have to imagine Indiana would have interest in re-signing him because they got his bird rights when they just traded for him for Karis Levert. Uh, so, so I have to imagine there'd be interest there from Indiana if 
they, you know, if they can, they can pay him, they have bird rights on him. They can pay him a lot of money. Uh, so, you know, more, a lot of money compared to the mid-level exception, I should say. So I don't know. I don't know what the move is. Maybe there's a trade out there, uh, but you're right. They do. They do need a point guard. Hey, what was their justification? I didn't see this. What was their justification for the Aaron holiday trade? Cause that was weird. They, they, they dropped from 22 to 31. You know, we talk about Tommy Shepard making good trades, but that was such a weird one because as part of the Westbrook trade, they dropped from 22 to 31 in the draft so that they could get Aaron Holiday. And then they just gave Aaron Holiday away at the deadline. So what well, was they the ju- justification for that? I don't honestly know if I, I mean, I wasn't in on the Tommy Shepard uh, press conference afterwards. So if it was addressed, I didn't notice it, but he wasn't playing much prior to like the Beal injury, like he was the guy, like they went from, he, he was getting a lot of DNPs when they basically were kind of going with, we got to get our best players on the court, more or less. He was the guy not playing. Um, then once the, some of the injuries started happening or they needed some depth, he started to play a little bit more. I think it just, I recognize it just wasn't going to work out. It was the one part of that whole smorgasbord that I remember in the moment. And I liked Aaron holiday coming out of UCLA. And I liked him a little bit with the, in the, in the league, the one part was like, wait, you just moved down nine spots for Aaron Holiday. You could have, like, he and Ish Smith basically are making the same money. You could have just kept Ish Smith as a re-sign. And I don't even, I don't like playing the game of, well, if you'd stayed at 22, you could, you know, you could have drafted these guys. But, like, watching the game last night, you could have hypothetically kept Ish Smith and drafted Cam Thomas, who's playing good minutes for the Nets. And there's a couple Quick other grams. guys. What's that? Quentin Grimes. Yeah. And there's a, there's a couple other guys. And again, you never know how that would work out. You know, we can play that game. I think they might've just liked Isaiah Todd at 22 and they knew he'd be around at 31 and, so and they that figured why not get him at 31 on a 31 overall contract as opposed to at a 22 overall contract. Sure. And he's obviously the X factor in this whole situation. All he's done so far this year is uh, his most notable achievement has been getting suspended by the team for, I mean, contract uh, detrimental or whatever the term was for, for, for a minute or two there. So why with no idea where he's going to be at, that's a total wild card, but yes, that was the one thing that I was like, eh, I don't know. And then they give him away for cash. Uh, you know, like even look, even the Montrez Harrell part of this, the first part of the year, he was arguably their best player on a pound for pound basis, the first 30 games. And they traded him away for the guy who was the backup point guard here last year. So that wasn't necessarily, I mean, as we just discussed good from a locker room perspective. And I would imagine on some level with Beal that these were preemptive Beal moves as well. You could not, the one thing I was concerned about was that them being stubborn and thinking this is a good group. I was like, you better get rid of something's off here. Something smells in Denmark. You better do whatever you have to do to satisfy Bradley Beal. Cause if you just bring back the same group and he's not happy, that won't be great. Uh, clearly moving on from Dinwiddie and Montrose Harrell, I think at a minimum level helped. Uh, resets the locker room vibe. That's a good thing in terms of, in terms of Beal, but, uh, but yeah, they got to get a point guard. They got to see if any of these, any of these first round picks develop over the course of, of, of time here. Gafford hasn't played much lately. You know, he's been, he's got, he's had some injuries and such, but like, you know, he's not as intriguing as he was a year ago when he was the, after they made the Troy Brander trade, which was a great trade again, but it's so funny, right? This is what happens, right? They make a great trade for Burton, then kind of screw it up by giving him this huge extension. They make this really good deal for Gafford, but then maybe screw it up a little bit. We'll see. 
by giving him an extension. They make this find yeah, Gafford, in Thomas. Gafford's rim protection numbers this year are really, really good. The advanced numbers on him are really good. Like opponents are shooting really, really low percentage on dunks and layups when he's the nearest defender, which is a very good thing. But I'm with you. That extension, the weird part of that extension for me wasn't even necessarily the money, even though, I mean, look, this is more my personal bias than it is like a condemnation of that contract specifically. But I'm just kind of a believer that rim diving centers who are reliant on others to create offense for them, unless they're a ridiculously high end of that sort of player, like say Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella, like they are going to be all defense guys. I just, I'm not big on paying those guys mid-level exception or above, not even because they're not worth it, but just because you can get 80% of that player for like 20% of the price, you can just go out and sign JaVale McGee, who's been great this year in Phoenix, and you can get him for much cheaper. And he's going to play that exact same role for a lesser price. You can find those guys in the draft or as the wizards learned, you can just go out and you could trade Troy Brown for Daniel Gafford, like those sorts of trades. If you identify correctly or out there, like the, the nets made, made Nick Claxton available at the deadline. You could have gone out and gotten Nick Claxton, you know, on a, on a cheap contract, like those sorts of players, you can find them. You can find them in the second round. You can find them in free agency. You can find them on the open market. And I just don't necessarily believe in paying that kind of money for that kind of player, but that's my personal bias. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Well, the, that, that, I think the years, the, yeah. the, the years part of it is the issue. It was the issue with Jan Mahimi. It was the issue with Bertans. Again, I was going to say Thomas Bryant too, a guy that they uh, it was a great find. They, they made a great move to bring him in. He's an interesting player. And then they gave him a, a three-year deal. And maybe I'm not even whatever we can debate whether he was worth it or exactly, but like, it's not that, you know, that when you're committing X amount of years to somebody, they better legitimately be a, a, a key piece for you. Thomas Bryant, I said another thing, like they seem to mess up once they give some of these guys, the extension and this goes to the larger point of what is the actual plan here you can't just keep giving guys extensions what's the overall plan that you're working towards that makes what you wanting to do these things well for me i don't mind the years as much it's three years gafford's young that's fine uh my my and this is not retrospect i i said this at the time in conversations with people my my criticism of gafford and i don't think it's like horribly detrimental my my because i think he's a good player my criticism of the, the Gaffer contract was honestly just the timing of it. You know, he had two years left on his current deal. You didn't need to do the extension then. The only reason you would feel the need to do the extension then is if you feel like 2021-22 is going to be some sort of massive breakout season. Like he is going to have a Clint Capella level season and you're not going to be able to extend him for this number. But I didn't think that was a, at least I personally didn't think that was a, a realistic possibility for this year. I thought Gaffer could come out and be better than he was last year, but I didn't think he'd come out and be like an all defense caliber guy. One of the five or six you know, best centers in the league. I didn't think that would end up happening. And that's the reason you give out that contract to protect so, against Gafford having that kind of year. Cause you could extend them. You could have extended him again this upcoming summer too. And it would have been fine. Cause he would have had another year left on his deal. Or let me ask you this you may not be able to answer this and and that's fine. If not, who, who do you think is saying give Gafford that extension, the GM or the owner? I, I, I have no idea. Okay. No. So the reason I'm asking that is like a look, so many of their moves happen in the moment, i.e. they give Tommy Shepard and, and Sashi Brown extensions as their 10 and three. 
They give Daniel Gafford this extension when he's riding hot. They, 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 when, when they gave Thomas Bryant the extension, it was the one positive thing they had in a miserable year that they, like, in other words, like it, it wasn't necessarily just that Thomas Bryant was interesting. It was interesting in a sea of crap otherwise, because that year was miserable. Um, even Bertans, the, 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 I said they should have dealt him at that trade deadline without knowing what offers were there, because if you didn't, his side had all the leverage. And this is like part of my thing. Like it just feels like they either react or too too much to the moment, or put themselves in a bind where they kind of have no choice. And you know, to a degree, they're here with Bradley Beal now as well. Um, that that would be my only wonder as to to your point of the timing on Gafford. Did somebody above Tommy Shepard say, "Hey, this guy is awesome. Look at how popular he is. We're not letting him leave. Get this done." And then that's why it happened. Because you're right. That what you when did you say the extension kicks in? The extension kicks him for the 2023-24 season. I mean, so literally there's no reason to get this done. By the way, this, he was, I mean, I like Gafford. I liked him coming out of college. He was a second round pick that the Bulls said, please take him. We'll take on Troy Brown, who you don't really want either. So it's not like there was like, you know, regardless of what he was doing for the 20 odd games, there was no reason to give him that money unless you're feeling like, hey, we need something positive here. It's what I talk about with the commanders right now. There's so much negative happening right now. It won't surprise me at all if they have a hardcore, aggressive offseason to try to spin the narrative on some level because they got to change the topic. So that, that's my wonder. We don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe Tommy Shepard signed off and said, I 100%, this is what we want to do. But it, it feels like there's a lot of reacting to the moment as opposed to what's the plan to do something here. My thing that I'll disagree with that you said is I, I, I don't think there's, I think the Thomas Bryan contract is fine. I think it's fair. If, if Thomas Bryan hadn't torn his ACL, which was a completely and totally fluky thing, uh, you know, we might be talking about it differently. I mean, he was, he's, he's still, I think, working his way back, getting comfortable. He didn't play for a year, but when he got hurt, I mean, he's, he was really becoming one of the better offensive centers in the league, just outrageously efficient. And I think he's starting to look that way. He's, He's looking comfortable shooting the mid range. I was watching that game last night and he's not shooting great from three yet, but I think he will. I mean, you know, when he got hurt, he was like 40 from three and 70 from two. I mean, it's just, he's consistently in the high seventies finishing at the rim percentage wise, which is an extraordinary percentage. I mean, he's, he's like top five in the league, efficient rim finisher. Uh, He's, he's got an extremely good jump shot. He can shoot from three. He's extremely good for mid-range. I, I question his shot selection sometimes, those mid-range shots, but like he's there's no doubt he's good at them. Sure. Uh, so I guess so my own he's a good screener, plays hard. Like he's, he's a total he's enthusiastic. I'm not fine. saying there's nothing positive. I'm just saying contract. you're you're it's not like it's the worst deal in the world, but it's sort of like you're saying if you're giving a guy a three-year $25 million contract, okay, you're kind of our center to a degree, and like he can't he, he can't play the four. So if he's not playing the five, then he's not playing in an era in which teams often don't play with a five. His rim protection, not very good, which was we saw that before the injury. So that all I'm saying is like, it, I'm not saying it's a terrible deal. I'm saying most of their moves seem to be made independent of a plan. So if you're going to have Thomas Bryant, you know, what are you doing to offset? Do you have a, a do you have multiple wing defenders who are going to prevent you from getting the ball to the rim, thus helping to avoid like what's the deal as opposed to we have this and we have that and we have this and we have that they don't all quite a fit 
but we're just doing stuff. That that that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he's a bad player or the contract was an abomination. Just that, uh, how does this all fit in? And the, it just felt like another move of being a prisoner to the moment to a degree. That's fair. Um, all right. I, I don't know. I I I I don't even know what else to discuss. Uh, probably nothing. Um, we would. I'll just ask you this. I know you're not watching every Wizards game because you're dealing with another team. Uh, but Wes Unsell Jr., I mean, he's, he's you know, it's hard to, I, at least for me, a little hard to gauge where he's at. I mean, they obviously got off to a hot start. And, you know, but, it, you know, I, I don't, it, when things started to fall apart, you could classically look at it and say, boy, is the coach losing the locker room? All these players are saying kind of outrageous things. But it's also way too early and, and all that. Any sense, whether based on your own observations or just talking to people around the league, what, what the sense of him is? I think it's a tough situation for him, like you just said. I mean, I think they they had personality problems. And I think that's really difficult for a first-year coach. So, I mean, look, I think at the beginning of the year, they got after that hot start, and it was like, man, you know, Wes Unsell looks like he's doing a really good job, and they're buying in defensively, and they were, like, climbing into the top 10 in points allowed per possession. And obviously, that's fallen off now. They're in the bottom half of the league. Um right to reserve my opinion i'll say uh i don't i don't really have a strong opinion on him right now either way because i think it's just really hard to decipher especially from afar you know if i were with the team every day and talking to people there and traveling around the country with them like i did when i was on the beat i'd probably be able to answer more intelligently but um i i would just say it's it's hard to be able to decipher a strong opinion in either direction Considering the fact that he's had like, I mean, this is not an easy team to coach in your first year. There are a lot of personalities. There's been a lot of change. There's been a lot of ups and downs. Uh, and, and so I don't, I don't, I don't really know yet. I'm not, I'm not totally yeah. sure. That, and that's but, totally fair. Like there's a lot going people, on, but look, people there speak highly of him. I'll tell you that much. I mean, I've had conversations with people there about like, what do you think of the job Wes is doing? And people there say, I think he's doing great. And, and, and they say similar stuff to what the people in Denver do. The first thing that people say when you mention and you ask, like, what's what's the thing? Okay, he's doing great. Like, wh- why? What's great? First thing people always mention is that he's very prepared, how prepared he is for everything and, uh, you know, his work ethic and, and, and just kind of how often he's in the building. So that's obviously a very good sign. And I think the people who know more than me, the ones who are there every day, the people in the building, the Wizards people I've spoken to, Speaking very highly of him is a very good sign, um, but uh, you know it's just it's just hard to tell from the results. There, like we said, there have been like nineteen versions of the twenty twenty one twenty two Wizards, and you're still dealing with you know it's it's a little bit less this year, but you're still dealing with the COVID s- situations. Uh, yeah, th- there's a lot going on for sure. I I've not heard anything negative per se. I was just curious as because you're, you're you're talking to people uh, more than I am. I don't just mean basketball people. I just mean people in general. I don't really talk to anybody except for Lenny and uh, whoever my guest is. So uh, I really, I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> any, uh, anything else we need to discuss? Uh, you, you, uh, you got any all-star break plans? Uh, we didn't really yeah. discuss your crazy team. But... I am sitting down doing nothing and I'm thrilled about it. I, I saw the uh, Stephen A rant the other night after they uh, got Incredible. worked <laughs> or uh, got lost a huge lead to the Nets, Like, it's interesting. I, 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 look, if you need to go, we can stop. But like, 
The, these two teams, they're, they're very different in, in many ways. Like the Knicks are playing in New York, the ultimate Mecca city for anything, let alone an NBA team. And you mentioned before the fan base is there irate. This, this one here is just kind of numb. But in a lot of ways, it kind of feels they're sort of similar. They both have this belief that like, or at least they're feigning the belief that they're close. And the Knicks were, what were they? The four or the five seed last year, the four seed? Four. And like, the, I, I kind of felt a little bit false fronty to me because I don't think Julius Randle is one of the best 15 players in the league, but he was really good last year. Uh, and Thibodeau can kind of wear on you as we all have seen over time. But okay, that said, it's obviously a disappointment where they're at. But like, it's like these both two teams, like they're they're they, they're constantly like, well, can we make this move? Can we make that move? I, I like it's like it's it's they can't get out of their own way on some level, and it's almost appropriate that they're both next to each other in the standings. Oh, you know what I wanted to ask you? Somebody asked me this question to ask you, and I'll, well, we're this deep into it, he'll he'll never know if I asked it anyway. the The fact that the play in thing now exists, right? I will never say a team makes the playoffs if they're the 10 seed. Some, no some Somebody will fake the banner and whatever or try to sell you on that. But do you think that's made it worse for, say, the two teams that we're dealing with because of the fact that, like, even right now, like, the Wizards have technically – well, not technically. They won three of their five games since the deadline. It doesn't matter that they beat a completely shorthanded Nets team twice, and I think the Pistons was the other win, um, and they lost to an Indiana team that's shorthanded. Uh, they're both they're still in the mix to make the play and so are the Knicks to a degree do you think that is kind of I understand the positives of it but do you think it's for our teams in particular it's working against them because it's giving this false hope to quote unquote keep playing basketball when it's eh, what, what are we talking about here yes yeah I mean I think that's probably true uh let's uh let's go out west for a second Let's answer that question by talking about the Sacramento Kings. Oh, yeah. Who are currently 22 and 38. They have a 367 winning percentage. Some quick math into my calculator tells me they are on a pace to lose 52 games. And yet they just traded their second year point guard who was averaging 14 points and seven assists and might be an all-star one day and is like 21 years old and is looking better every time I see him for DeMontis Sabonis, who's an excellent player. I'm a huge DeMontis Sabonis guy. He's really good. He's a deserving multi-time all-star. He's one of the three or four or five best passing big men in the league. He's one of the three or four or five strongest players in the league. He's a ridiculous rebounder. He's extremely skilled around the basket. He's an excellent all-star caliber, multi-time all-star caliber player. He's great. That's not the team that should be trading for him. It is not. And certainly that's not the team that should be trading the guy who is the point guard of its future currently on a rookie scale contract for him. Three more years, including this one of a rookie scale contract for him. Now, Sabonis is an excellent player. And I actually think his contract is extremely team friendly. It's like 18 million a year or something like that. 19 million a year. That's an extremely team-friendly contract for a player of that caliber. He he basically makes the Spencer Dinwiddie salary. Like he's that, and and he's that good of a player. He's excellent. But what's that doing for you? Might help you make the plan. But if the plan didn't exist, it's not doing anything else for you. Right. Uh, it's not helping you build a team that can really compete for much. Uh, I'll tell you what. You go into a play-in game, or you know maybe you get lucky. 
you win in the playing tournament, you get the eighth seed. Darren Fox and DeMontis Sabonis are just getting pick and rolled to death for four to seven straight games. There's no question, probably closer to four. I mean, I don't know what your future is. And then Sabonis is an unrestricted free agent and you can either overpay him to stay in Sacramento or you can, uh, you can let him walk and you just lost potentially seven or eight years at least of Tyrese Halliburton for a couple of years of Sabonis when you were not ready to take in DeMontis Sabonis. And also, by the way, you just paid Rashawn Holmes a lot of money to be your center uh, on a deal that when you gave it out, people generally thought was an overpay because you don't pay that much money for a rim diving center, even though Holmes was coming off of a really good season. Uh, it's just, yeah. And the Kings aren't even in the plan right now. I mean, Portland right. is Portland is tanking and went young and they've won four in a row now with this like plucky upstart group. And Anthony Simons looks as good as CJ McCollum, quite honestly, he looks great. And uh, in Sacramento at the time that we're recording, this is four games back in the lost column of Portland for 10. And they're still behind San Antonio and they're still behind new Orleans who just got CJ McCollum and is trying to win. So I just, there's no guarantee that Sacramento is getting in there. They're not even no guarantee. Like they're just not even the favorites to get there. And also like, even if they get in and even if they get all the way to the eight seed, I'm not saying that's not nothing and everybody can say, hey, they're building, you know, they, they, they made that move. But to what end? Like I was watching the Wizards Nets game, the, the last game before the um, All-Star break. And like I get the home team announcers are going to spin everything positively. But like they're talking about how, hey, the Wizards, you know, they because you know, they, they obviously took care of the Nets late in the game. Hey, you know, they should just look at say what the Celtics are doing and how the Celtics are. Bit, bit, have had this winning streak and you can emulate that. And I'm like, the Celtics have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They could beat anybody in a first round in a series. I'm not saying that they would, but they would have a more than puncher's chance to beat, pick whoever you want. The Wizards have done, what do we, Porzingis isn't even playing. Brad, Bradley Beal is not going to play again this year. They don't have any chance to do anything. They, they would lose a seven game series in three games based on, on the, on what we're looking at here. So like, Selling false hope in that way to yourself, let alone, I mean, again, I'm not talking about what the announcers are saying, but like, I don't think that like the Wizards didn't make moves to make the playoffs. They obviously did, did sort of the opposite to a degree, uh, especially if Porzingis is not going to rush him back. But, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I just think in the, especially in the NBA, just making the playoffs doesn't mean anything. You want to tell me the NFL, the wildcard team can advance deep. Sure. Hockey. We see it. Baseball. Sure. Basketball. Not really. Very, very rarely is that gonna is that ever gonna happen unless you have crazy years like we did with the bubble and some things like that. So I'm with you. I, I think it's a and and I guess the worst part is it's just easy justification for some owners who want to prop up their thing to say, hey, we we almost we we made the playoffs. We almost made the playoffs. You know. Uh, yep, but that's not the fault of the play-in tournament. That is the fault of ownership being duped by the play-in tournament. Toronto last year had a great chance at the play-in tournament. And what did they do? They said, screw it. We don't want the play-in tournament. We're dropping out of this thing and we're getting a good draft pick. And they got real lucky in the lottery and they got Scotty Barnes. And now they are set. They're good. They're a legitimately good team again. They're, what are they, 32 and 25. I don't talk down on teams that just want to consistently be good every year. I don't do it. I think there's some people who are like, oh, you're stuck in the middle. All you're winning is 
45 to 52 games every year. What's that worth? I'm like, that's worth a lot. It's good to be good every year. What the freak is the point of this whole thing if you don't just try to be good every year? How many wins did you say? If you just try to win 45 to 52 games every year. Oh, that is a total. It's it's good. I don't, but there's some people who talk down on those. No, no. You're just stuck in the middle. You're never better than a four seed, five seed. No. Who cares? You get a 50 win team like Portland, for example, with Damian Lillard. Where they're just like they're forty-seven wins, they're fifty-two wins, they're forty-nine wins, they're fifty-three wins, and they get to one conference finals. And it's like some people, oh, you're just trying the same thing every year. It's like, yeah, they're good. They are always good. And sometimes they have moments where they look really good. There's nothing wrong with just always being good. Think- sometimes luck like 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 you get your breaks and always being good just ends up panning out. Like and, and it gets you a title or it gets you a finals appearance. It, it, sometimes that just ends up happening and you don't get that if you're not always good. And even if it doesn't happen, it's worthwhile in every way to just always be good. It's good to be good. So I don't have a problem with that, even though some people will talk down that strategy and consider it stuck in the middle. I don't consider it stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle is chasing the 10 seed. Right. And also like from an enter- purely entertainment value, if you view this as it's such, you would you would consistently watch a television show that was always pretty good. What your issue is like when it's just generically eh, after a while, you're like, well, well, this isn't that. There's no plot line here. This isn't moving the needle. We've already had this, you know, we've already we've already seen this relationship up down. Like <laughs> succession success is not always definitively being the title. And I've said before, like I think teams make mistakes. If they just make moves to chase the title, though, I guess the LA Rams would argue different with me right now. Um, but like in general, like you, the goal is to another be, LA team that might not. <laughs> right. To me, the goal for the, for, for teams in general is put yourself in a position to contend that if the breaks go your way, maybe it happens in the NBA. The problem is that the one player makes such the difference as great as Damian Lillard is. He's a small point guard. That's just going to be slightly problematic when you're competing against bigger players who are a little bit better and that's just the deal. But yeah, Portland's been a hell of a fun team the last decade, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, people had a good time here when wall and Beal like that, you talked before about that wall, Beal, Gortat, Nene, Markeith Morris era. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> are we looking back at that and going, boy, that was a disaster. No, we're looking back at that going, wait, how do we, how can we get the, can we do that again? I'll take that over what it, what's been since. I think who wouldn't? And by the way, there was some co some some kind of plan there, <laughs> you know. Anyway, yep. All right, enough enough out of this. Anything uh, I'd say anything to promote at this point? You could just talk about how uh, you're going to be in Biosphere Ten, and nobody would know because nobody's listening at this point. But anything <laughs> you would like to to mention at this point that we need to know about? Yeah, I would uh, like to plug Ben Standig's great work yeah. at uh, covering formerly the Washington football team. Wait, you're, 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 you're a bit guy. Do you like commanders? Uh, where does commanders come from? Uh, sure. I, I, I think, I guess the gist is the commander in chief. It's a, it's a military type deal. Washington DC, powerful city. Sure. I mean, it's fine. Right. That that's fine. the basic that's the basic reaction. It's fine. Is is the mo- is is feel, the positive vibe. Yeah. I don't feel very passionate about it in either way. Yeah. The blur the blurbs on the like post Washington football team. 
Oh, I thought it was fun and different. Hundred percent, you did, and honestly, I kind of miss it now a little bit. Even though I, yeah, could, I, I couldn't stand writing it. Oh, I liked it. The Washington Football Team. I thought it would work. You just call them the Football Team. I thought it was fun. I like that team name. I thought it was like a great, a great, uh, a great quirky thing. Just like a team with no name. It yeah, great. it was like when Prince just became a symbol. You know. Well, the, at a minimum, it was unique. And that's the thing. Commanders just feels very generic. If you just said, the, hey, do you want to go watch the Commanders tonight? You could be like, uh, what is that? Is that a high school team? Is that the local arena league football team? Like, I don't know. What right. is the Commanders? It's I don't like, know what that means. It's like the name of a team that you would like create in your Madden season when you're creating a team, the Commanders. Right. right. In, 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 the, in the replacements movie, if they had just called them the Washington Commanders, you'd be like, oh, sure. I get yeah, it. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine with it, though. It's it's fine. Most here's the thing. Most of these team names people are so passionate about every time there's a new team name and every time there's a new arena name. And most of these team names, if we just like spray, if they, they were just an expansion team and they, they sprouted up, people will be like, what the hell? You know, like. Uh, like most of the team names don't make sense. Like the Utah Jazz makes no freaking sense. It's because they were in New Orleans. It's a, it's a, it it's, it's no the funniest sense. one ever. It's the funniest no one. No one ever. has ever been like, I'm going to Utah to get some great live jazz. Like, no, that's never happened. That makes no sense, but no one cares because it, 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 it just, it's so old that it just, it's, it's part of our, it's part of our mind. It doesn't grate on us. Right. The Los Angeles Lakers makes no sense. They're the Minneapolis Lakers because Minnesota is the, the land of 10,000 lakes that made sense. This, this makes no sense, but we're fine with it because it's just a thing that we've always known, you know? Yeah. hundred percent so, in 20 years, the Washington the commanders names are good. That's right. my take. My take is no team name is good. Yeah. The green Bay Packers. What's that doing for anybody? But it, it's been around for 8,000 years. So we're used right. to it. in 20 people, years, people clowns like the Pelicans when they made their name, the Pelicans. I was like, what's wrong with that? Pelicans are, are an indigenous bird to Louisiana. Makes perfect sense to me. It's fine. A hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent. In 20 years, we'll be good with the commanders. I'll, that said, I don't know if we'll ever be good with wizards. Uh, uh, Wizards I, is really bad. <laughs> when I went to the game, I said to somebody, "I was like, hey, because it was right after the commander's name at uh, at Switch." I said, "Hey, congrats! At least for the moment, you guys aren't the team. It's the team whose name people are complaining about. The keyboard being there for the moment. Wizards well, is bad. Raptors is is kind of dumb. Like, R- like Raptors Jurassic was a moment in time. There, yeah. R- Raptors is a moment in time. Jurassic Park was a thing, and people got crazy. And it's like, uh, okay, yeah." That's um, a bad one. All right. Well, look. Like we have teams named after colors. What the hell are the Cincinnati Reds? The Red Stockings, right? Yeah, they were the Red Stock. Okay, they're named after socks. Is that better? And then we we're like, you know what? Socks well, the- is weird. There are three teams in baseball originally named after socks. There's the Red Socks. There's the white socks and there's the red stockings. And we're gonna pretend like Commanders is this massive injustice. It's fine. It's just fine. All team names are stupid. That this is my new take that I'm developing right now, and I feel good about. All team names are stupid, but Wizards is pretty bad. That this is going to be the perfect tagline for this podcast episode because even though we're talking about the Commanders, people assume we're talking about the Wizards. So great, I'll just use that as the tagline. That'll work out. Uh, Fred, uh, oh, you know, 
great catching up. Uh, hopefully, the, hopefully this conversation doesn't send the wizards down on another tailspin because they can't go any, they don't need to go backwards even further after we talk, but we'll hope for the best. Good luck on the Knicks. I have no idea where your team is going, but at least you're going on a break. So that's good news. Thank you for having me. And you can check out my work in the athletic. If you care about reading the Knicks, otherwise just listen to standing room only and, and enjoy that incredible commander's coverage. Oh boy. All right. Many thanks to Fred Katz for his time. And of course, thanks to everybody here for the questions that they asked uh, in the mailbag and just, you know, hit me up on Twitter and elsewhere. I really appreciate the support. Even the people who disagree with me or whatever. Hey, you know, as long as we're all cool and everybody has respect for each other, what are you going to do? The different opinion makes the world go round, so they say. So all good on that front as well. But that is it for now for this episode of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. The next time you'll hear from me, um, well, I'll probably have one new podcast up on Monday, but I will be in Indy next week for the Combine. Excited for that. But until next time, see ya. <laughs>